OrthoFastFacts, your quick fix in orthopaedics. Well, hello, you bright, bright, young and beautiful people. Welcome to this next episode, episode 10 of OrthoFastFacts. We're going right back to the hardcore interested people in orthopedics, the medical students and student doctors who think of a career in orthopedics or are aware that they need to know quite a bit of orthopedics for their finals or for whichever future career involves exposure to a lot of musculoskeletal problems and conditions. So uh, we've not neglected you. We're, we're trying to cover a lot of orthopedics, um, but we'll make sure that we do bring our regular medical student episodes. Can I please remind you that would be worth going to juniorbones.com where my colleagues and I have written a free orthopedic textbook on orthopedics and trauma for medical students. You can download it, read it at your leisure and enjoy it. Uh, but this is additional podcast information for you to uh, spend some time getting your head around some of the common topics. We're building on the previous episode of septic arthritis. I covered a lot about inflammation in that, particularly the five cardinal signs of inflammation. And when you see a term such as osteoarthritis, your first thought would be, well, this must be an inflammatory condition because it ends with the word itis. Osteo means bone, arthro means joint, and itis means inflammation. So, so this should be an inflammatory condition of bone and joints, but it's a bit of a misnomer. And the correct term really is osteoarthrosis. And that's what scholars and, and more senior clinicians tend to use sometimes. Uh, but in reality, we use osteoarthritis most commonly. But osteoarthrosis is a degenerative condition of bone joints. Now, it's great to have a definition, and the, the, the correct definition really is a progressive loss of articular cartilage uh, with underlying bone remodeling, uh, which leads to symptoms with, within joints in the body. Okay, so that's what it is, and essentially, the mechanical abnormality of the joints leading to wear of the articular cartilage and eventually full thickness loss and involvement of the subchondral bone and affects all joints all around the body uh, most commonly the hips the knees the spine the hands and the feet but it can affect any synovial joint now it's nice to have some figures uh, in general around five million people in the uk have uh, arthritis on x-rays in in the various joints around the body and five is a good number because uh, the cost of uh, dealing with uh, all types of arthritis in the UK is around £5 billion and the cost of hip and knee replacement is around £500 million. So uh, you can use that as a sort of uh, way of remembering how prevalent this condition is and how important it is uh, to the National Health Service. Uh, and you can find your own figure for wherever you're listening in the world. Um, but it's important to have an idea that this is a very common condition. That's why we deal with it so frequently in orthopedics. Um, so why does osteoarthritis happen? Well, it's a, we talk of it as a wear and tear disease, and that's the uh, traditional way of thinking of osteoarthritis. But essentially, there's a degradation of the cartilage and, and remodeling the bone underlying the cartilage. And the chondrocytes in the articular cartilage start responding to this degradation, which is primarily mechanical, uh, and, and they start to release enzymes, they break down uh, collagen and proteoglycans, destroying the articular cartilage and exposing the underlying bone. 
and that results in changes in the underlying bone uh, where the bone gets hard and thick known as sclerosis areas of the bone break down and become disordered and fill up with fluid from the joint and cysts c-y-s-t-s um, we've got to talk about subchondral bone cysts or bone cysts lying under the chondral surface and, and the, obviously the cartilage wears away over time leaves loss of joint space and the bone tries to recover by making more bone not just in the subchondral area but around the edges too to try to stabilize the joint and the, that results in the formation of osteophytes that stick out of the edges of the joint so those are the cardinal signs so the loss of joint space osteophyte formation subchondral cysts and subchondral sclerosis uh, and the nice mnemonic for that is loss l-o-s-s and that helps you remember also the x-ray changes which we will talk about later so that's the sort of underlying etiology and that's worth knowing but there are many causes that lead to this we divide them up into primary and secondary causes so the so primary osteoarthritis tends to be age-related it usually starts in your 40s and, and develops over time but there may be a genetic predisposition um, we talked about articular cartilage in uh, in detail in a in a previous uh, episode with my colleague um, Prim Achan, and that was in episode six. So, if you want to get us a higher level um, understanding of articular cartilage, it's worth listening to that episode. It's a fun episode, anyway. Um, you don't need to know the full details of the basic science level, but I've alluded to it a little bit already. In terms of secondary osteoarthritis, there are many causes that lead to mechanical damage and eventually result in long term secondary osteoarthritis. They include intraarticular fractures. Uh, limb malalignment, so the, the mechanics of the limb are wrong and uh, the forces are going to the wrong part of the joint. For example, if your knee is in severe genuvarum, so it's bow-legged, or severe genuvalgum, so it's knock-kneed. Other causes include inflammatory joint disease, such as rheumatoid arthritis and gout, that leads to changes in the joint and then eventual loss of cartilage. Septic arthritis, so infection that destroys the cartilage because uh, of the severe inflammatory uh, damage and then other causes such as ligamentous instability because the instability can lead to rapid cartilage wear so there are many causes on top of that there are some um, risk factors associated uh, with with uh, primary and secondary osteoarthritis including obesity so having too much uh, weight going through your joints uh, advancing age being female and, and some occupations that involve uh, a lot of manual labor so that's the risk factors. Well, what about clinical features? Well, we talked about the common joints that involve, particularly the knee, uh, the hip, uh, the spine, the hands and the feet. Uh, typically, it's, it's pain uh, in that joint as the uh, joint space is lost. Um, and the pain uh, can lead to loss of function. It, can lead to stiffness of the joints, the, the pain is worse with activity, it's relieved by rest. The pain tends to worsen throughout the day as you use it more and more. And over time you start seeing deformity in the joints and reduced range of motion. So when you're examining them, uh, examining the various joints that are involved, you can look for uh, these deformities. So in the hands you can get swelling of the proximal interphalangeal joints known as Bouchard nodes, B-O-U-C-H-A-R-D nodes. Uh, or in the distant phalangeal joints, you can get hebedin nodes, H-E-B-E-R-D-E-N nodes, which are essentially osteophytes of the PIPJs or DIPJs. You can get fixed flesh and deformities in the hip and knee and fingers um, and various 
um, coronal plane malalignments such as Varus and Valgan, as I mentioned earlier. Um, when so that's on look. I remember, uh, North Korean examiners look, feel, move. When you feel, you might uh, feel uh, areas of tenderness and feel crepitus, which is like a crackling sound and sensation throughout the range of motion. And in terms of motion, it's generally reduced and painful, and and, and there are often fixed deformities as the, as the disease advances. Um, it's worth knowing for your finals how to examine each of these joints very carefully. At some point, we will cover how to examine the hip, uh, the knee, and the hands, because those are sort of quite common uh, joints that you have to be good at examining. Um, but it's it's really worth having a system. But don't forget the look, feel, move. And we also talk about check at the end. Look, feel, move, check. Check is examining the joint above and below, and also assessing the neurovascular status of the limb. That's a general orthopedic examination, but we'll cover that in more detail another time. Uh, once you've uh, done a, taken the history from the examination, you're moving on to making a differential diagnosis and the basic differential diagnoses that you have to differentiate osteoarthritis from are from inflammatory arthropathies, the true itises, uh, and the things like rheumatoid arthritis and, and, and gout. Um, uh, so I should say gout is, is a crystal arthropathy, so it's a different type of arthropathy, but it's also inflammatory. Um, but it, it's due to deposition of crystals in the joint. Uh, you have to also think of um, inflammatory due, uh, changes due to infection, such as septic arthritis. Um, it, it may be a fracture if you've got pain around the joint, but that's usually related to trauma. Um, and there may be other intra-articular problems in the joint, such as the hip and the knee, that might lead to signs mimicking osteoarthritis, such as meniscal or ligament tears, um, uh, but they're less common in this type of presentation. So that, that's the uh, basic approach to differential uh, diagnosis. The next part for you to know about is investigations. And investigations, uh, it's after a clinical diagnostic um, clue as to this being osteoarthritis and excluding the differential diagnoses, for example, blood tests to exclude uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Then you move on to the primary modality that we use, which is an x-ray, and we've already discussed what you look for in x-ray, and that's the classic features of loss, L for loss of joint space, O for osteophytes, S for subchondrosis, and S for subchondrosclerosis. Familiarize yourself with seeing x-rays of various joints, particularly the hip, knee, and hands. Um, showing, displaying, demonstrating osteoarthritis. So get used to that. Finally, we move on to management. We talk about management of a condition. Uh, we talk about non-operative and operative management. Um, non-operative management uh, generally starts with, with education of the uh, patient, and that includes lifestyle modification that may involve weight loss to take weight of uh, weight-bearing joints, such as the hip and the knee, so you're not increasing the symptoms arising from that joint. You prescribe exercise to keep that joint moving. You don't want that muscles to be wasted over time. You want to keep the range of motion as full as possible. You maybe have to give mobility aids, such as a walking stick or a frame, particularly for the lower limb joints. You might need to prescribe physiotherapy uh, to increase the range of motion, improve musculature, uh, and occupational therapy with home modifications. These are all non-operative interventions that are of use. Um, there are pharmacological treatments that you can use, um, such as analgesia, and we use the World Health Organization pain ladder where we start with simple analgesics such as 
paracetamol work up through more complex analgesics, such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs into the more um, potent analgesics, such as the opioids. Uh, so we escalate up through the WHO pain ladder. On, on top of that, there are other uh, available non-operative uh, options, such as using local heat or ice bags and joint supports and orthoses. All of these have different levels of recommendation, so it depends on the joint and it depends on how useful they may be um, to that particular patient. Um, in terms of injecting the joints, we try and avoid injecting. We might occasionally use steroids if there's an inflammatory um, flare-up, but otherwise we try and stay away from putting steroids into joints. <coughs> there are other joint, uh, other uh, treatments available for injections such as hyaluronic acid. Um, again, uh, you have to have a look at the latest nice recommendations, but most of them are not prescribed as a standard treatment. The um, other aspect uh, that's worth thinking about is oral therapies such as glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate. Again, have a look at the latest nice recommendations. They're not something that we tend to prescribe commonly because the evidence for it is not as uh, robust as it needs to be. So really, in, in orthopedics, after we move on from non-operative treatments, you're thinking of surgical intervention. There are three major operative interventions. There's an osteotomy. That's osteo means bone. Toe means to cut. The osteotomy means to cut the bone around the joint, primarily to try and realign the forces going through the joint. Um, sometimes we use that in areas like the hip and the knee. Uh, an example is a high tibial osteotomy to take away the load going through the medial compartment and you move it more towards the center or lateral compartment to offload the medial compartment. So that's an option. Um, then there's an arthrodesis, which we don't tend to use as much. Arthro means joint, dies means to fuse. So fusion of a joint tends to be more of a historical treatment. We don't tend to use it that commonly these days, but it is an option available in certain types of severe osteoarthritis. And finally, and the most commonly used procedure, one of the most commonly performed procedures uh, in orthopedics as a whole is arthroplasty. Arthro means joint, plasty means to fashion, and we use that um, to replace a joint completely. So uh, arthroplasty is a, is a joint replacement, and you can do a total arthroplasty of a joint, or you can do a partial arthroplasty of a joint. For example, you might just replace the medial compartment with a unit compartmental knee replacement for knee osteoarthritis. Um, at this point, that's just about as much detail as you want to go into. Um, we don't really need to know the ins and outs of the various operative treatments available. Uh, just be aware that, you know, total hip arthroplasty and total knee arthroplasty around uh, 60 to 70,000 of each are performed in the UK every year and, and they provide great results. It's one of the few operations that has great improvement in quality adjusted life years uh, along with uh, cataract treatments. Um, so it's, it's a really important procedure and it's uh, with an aging population it's become increasingly more common uh, with really good survival rates of the joint replacements 10 to 20 years after surgery. So uh, that's why it's worth knowing about osteoarthritis because it's such an important and effective treatment available. I think I'll stop there because that's, that's really quite a lot of detail to know. I hope that's helped you get your head around um, osteoarthritis as a whole and have a way of approaching its causes 
uh, its history, examination, differential diagnosis, investigations, and finally uh, treatment options available. Um, thank you all for listening, and please pass this on to every medical student that you know so they can also have a listen. Um, and I'll see you next time with some more episodes to come in the future for medical students, junior doctors, for orthopedics and trauma. Cheers. See you later.